What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Show. It's the flagship show. Glad you could be here with us. My name is Marcus Grant. Excited to take you through the end of week nine into the beginning of week 10. And uh, it is going to be a wild one. We've got four teams on a bye. You've got some of the best offenses taking the week off, which means from a fantasy perspective, a lot of key pieces are going to be missing. So we will help you try to work around that as best as possible. But of course, I cannot do it alone. Joined, as always, by my faithful co-hosts, Ian Harditz, Dwayne McFarlane, and Matthew Friedman. And for a lot of folks, it is going to be a battle trying to set their fantasy lineups this week. But let's talk about some battles of our own, mainly in some backfields. We have the most intense set of graphics on this show of anything <laughs> I've, I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to talk about some backfields that might be in flux a little bit. And to get more analysis on that, of course, you can always head over to FantasyLife.com and read all of our write-ups. Also sign up for the newsletter, which will keep you up to date. Lands in your inbox every single day. But the, let's start in Seattle, where coming into the season, we thought Zach Charbonnet would eat into Kenneth Walker's opportunities it didn't really happen for the first couple of months of the season. But, Dwayne, the last two weeks, things look like they're changing in the Pacific Northwest. And is Zach Charbonnet becoming a real threat to Kenneth Walker? Yeah, you know, when I first looked at this one, Marcus, I just kind of dismissed it because Kenneth Walker was injured, a little dinged up, heading into week eight. And then in week nine, we had these blowout conditions. In fact, Ian and I talked about it on our Sunday night podcast. You guys can check that out over on YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast. We break it all down Sunday night. You've got it there on your Monday morning commute. But I just basically said, you know, I think this is probably fine. They're probably just conditions that cause this for Kenneth Walker. But after going back and digging into it more, wow, I was really wrong because we do have Zach Charbonnet starting to carve out a very specific role here. When we look at what's happened, 100% of the two-minute offense, and 100% of the long down and distance over the last two games. Remember, Kenneth Walker is not thought of as a great passing down back. That was one of the things that you heard about from NFL scouts coming into the draft last year is they all raved about Zach Charbonnet's ability in that capacity. Not a super high-end target earner in college, but solid enough. And we are starting to see that. We've also had Pete Carroll just raving about the rookie. So you've got the coach speak going on. You've got the recent two-week trend. And then the other thing is, once I dug in, it wasn't just late in the game against Baltimore, Marcus. It was early in the game. In the first quarter, Zach Charbonnet outsnapped Kenneth Walker. In the second quarter, and through the first half of the game, we had more Zach Charbonnet than we did Kenneth Walker. Now, Walker is continuing on as the lead back on early downs. He's still getting the majority of the carries over the last two games. He's gotten 53%, only 31% for Charbonnet. But it was enough where you have to now downgrade the outlook for the rest of the season for Kenneth Walker. I moved him into high-end running back two status. He's really been sitting as that mid, mid-range mid running back one, but now he looks more like that volume-dependent back because if you have game scripts that get sideways on the Seahawks, who have been kind of unpredictable, to be honest, this year. Like, we've not seen them put together multiple games back-to-back -back where we can feel really good about their offense. But when they fall behind in these games, it's going to be a situation where, really, now Kenneth Walker could look more like what we see in Washington with a Brian Robinson Jr. Game script's going great. Okay, fine. You get 20 points out of the player. But if they fall behind, it can be that game where you look up and you're like, oh, my God, how did I only get six or seven points out of this really good player? And it comes down because now the routes are not going to be there for Walker. Those are going to go to Charbonnet. But the other thing we have to think about here is what does this mean for Charbonnet? Obviously, he gets an upgrade, but I want to pitch this one over to Ian. You know, we've already talked about the downgrade for Kenneth Walker, but does this mean that we suddenly now have a player in Zach Charbonnet that fantasy managers can trust? I think, uh, sadly, Dwayne, the answer to that is no. And it's going right off the back of your very good, my friend. Example about, again, Walker being a bit more like Brian Robinson than managers would prefer. I would say with the explosiveness, maybe we could say a rich man's Brian Robinson to be a little nicer with that. But accordingly, <laughs> that does make Zach Charbonnet, you know, kind of our West Coast Antonio Gibson going on here. So, yes, all good things for Charbonnet. Again, demanding that two-minute work and just really looking healthy because, lest we forget, did miss that, I believe, week seven action with that hamstring 
hamstring injury before he has seen this bump coming up. And honestly, like he has earned this increased usage. If you look at it, just Walker versus Charbonnet on the year, 5.2 yards per carry for Charbonnet and just 4.2 for Walker running behind the same offensive line. And in addition to that, very few running backs have been better than Charbonnet in pass pro. Actually, PFF's third highest graded running back in pass protection among 61 qualified players. So again, Charbonnet has earned the extra usage. That said, like Antonio Gibson, not necessarily coming with the sort of standalone fantasy-friendly role that we can get behind. So overall, Charbonnet, really, like I think if we just want to sit here and rank our top five most valuable handcuff running backs, I don't see him getting left off that list. Just tough to overly trust him right here right now in week 10 so bright future for him for sure but Marcus still only Kenneth Walker right now as someone we're willing to start week in and week out well between wads of gum Pete Carroll has certainly sung the praises of the rookie out of UCLA and sometimes Pete will steer us wrong but in this situation it appears uh, that he is being a straight shooter meanwhile in Indianapolis, Shane Steichen still trying to figure out how coach speak works because he told us that the reason we weren't seeing maximum Jonathan Taylor was because Zach Moss had been so good, and certainly both the numbers and the eye test bore that out. But then Dwayne in week nine, well, it looked like Jonathan Taylor was back to more of an RB1-type role, getting a ton of snaps while Zach Moss sort of faded into Bolivian, to borrow from Mike Tyson. So is it time to worry about Zach Moss? Is it time to go full speed ahead on Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, Taylor's had a nice steady trend upward since his return in week five. His snaps have gone from 16% to 43% to 49%, 61%, and the crescendo game last weekend, 75%. Like, that is getting towards that bell cow status. But to your point, I was kind of off of it because I was like, okay, like, Zach Moss is playing really well, and now the coach is talking good about him. And even though we were seeing some more snaps for Taylor, I thought maybe we had kind of reached that peak. No, he also took a step forward last week with 62% of the rushing attempts, a season high. It was a season low for Zach Moss and the route participation market. 75% of the plays where they dropped back the pass. Jonathan Taylor was in a route that that's a career that I don't know if that's a career high ever in utilization for him, but if he stays anywhere close to that, he's never had that kind of role in the past. And he had a 23% target share in this game. So lots of paths to getting the ball for Taylor right now. He toted the rock 18 times last weekend. He had five targets on the day. So if he's anywhere near those numbers, that's going to make him a mid-range running back one. I think the real question is, does this hold? Because the one challenge for Taylor has been, despite getting paid and despite all the fantasy managers wanting to see more of him, he's not been efficient. Going back to Steichen's comments, only 28% of his carries have gone for more yards than expected. That's fourth worst in the NFL per next-gen stats. But if we look across at Zach Moss, he's actually been the eighth best running back in that exact same system. Uh, statistic at 45%. So I do think that we're going to see Taylor as the lead back could be as high as that mid range running back one, but I do worry that Moss has been playing well enough that we don't continue to see Taylor in this huge of a role going forward. But really curious, you know, Friedman taking a look at this situation. I know you talk a lot about efficiency, how it can come and go. Obviously Ian's always talking about how volume is king, but when you're trying to decide, when you're trying to decipher a situation like this where you've got one player you've just paid, but another one that's playing really well. Do you think this utilization lasts for Jonathan Taylor, or do you think Moss also continues to be a bit of you know a nuisance for fantasy managers? I think Moss will continue to be a slight nuisance, but you know, given the state of the running back position in the NFL right now, and given what we have seen out of Jonathan Taylor specifically last week, but really the past few weeks, he's, as you said, had this crescendo building up to this point. I mean, he's not going to get like the full JT workload that we enjoyed in previous seasons, but this workload is sufficient to put him as I have him as RB6 this week, and I think he sort of stays in that vicinity for the rest of the season. Uh, and the inefficiency that he has displayed in general this year has really been super located in his first couple of games back when he was still, like I'd say, working his way into football shape. Uh, he had two and a half yards per carry 
in the first two games back. Since then, four and a half yards per carry. And as you said, he's also been involved in the receiving game. So it's pretty optimistic, uh, the view that I have on him moving forward. The past three weeks, 16 carries, 3.7 targets per game. He's leveraged all of that to close to 300 yards across that span with two touchdowns, one in the air, one on the ground. And last week had 100% of the two minute work, which is really encouraging. So uh, I'm very much am on Jonathan Taylor moving forward and Zach Moss. I think at some point just kind of reverts back to being Zach Moss. So we may not get maximum Taylor, but we're getting a lot of Taylor and that's pretty good, especially considering where he was at the start of the year in Detroit. We look like we got maximum Gibbs at least for a couple of weeks while David Montgomery was out. That certainly wasn't the case early in the season. I mean, Ian, if you drafted Jameer Gibbs, you were super frustrated watching David Montgomery take a lot of his opportunities. Now with Monty back, are Jameer Gibbs managers going to go back to screaming in their pillows with frustration? I mean, not only were they frustrated, Marcus, but they really got proven right over these past, you know, two weeks before the bye when we saw Gibbs rip off overall PPR RB1 and RB2 finishes. So honestly, like that has been the issue here. It's not that, you know, oh my gosh, Montgomery's playing great and Gibbs should, you know, be taken away from him. It's that Gibbs in his own right has been playing really great this entire season as well. That said, when we do go ahead and look at the utilization in weeks one, two, and four, pretty much the only times that we've seen both these guys healthy enough to go side by side. I mean, you guys can see it on your screen right now. It really has been the David Montgomery show. Even those week two numbers are a little bit skewed because Montgomery had to leave that game a little bit early. So overall in those three matchups, just nine, 14 and 12 touches for Gibbs, which, Hey, he's a great player. He's going to make the most out of those opportunities. Just not exactly the sort of volume that we would hope for out of someone that we use, you know, a third round pick on last August. So overall guys, I think the hope here is that Gibbs is played well enough to turn this into more of a 50-50 split moving forward as opposed to that 70-30 situation we were seeing during the early portions of the season. So as things stand right now, because both guys have been able to just ball out when the other one has been sidelined, we're talking about two top 12 running backs in PPR points per game. If that man just a hold for the entire season, these two would join only 2017 Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara as the only running backs on the same team to post simultaneous top 12 per game production over the last decade. So Dwayne, I mean, I remember going back in the summer, like this was kind of what we were hoping for, for Gibbs in the first place, knowing Montgomery was going to have that rushing role. And I think it remains the case now in order for Gibbs to keep on keeping on with Montgomery back in the picture. We're getting these receiving uses to look a lot like early career Alvin Kamara. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because whenever you go back and you look at the Fantasy Life rookie supermodel, the closest comp to Jameer Gibbs outside of the weight was Alvin Kamara. The second closest was Christian McCaffrey, and both of those guys had top 12 fantasy seasons as rookies without getting to even 40% of their team's rushing attempts. Now, the thing they had was a higher route participation. Early on this season in the games where David Montgomery has been going off, we still haven't seen Jameer Gibbs carve out that 45 to 55% of the route participation. That's where we need him to be. I do believe that he's played well enough over these last few games. There's a chance that we do get that. He's looked very efficient. He's obviously played really well on the ground as well, so maybe he can carve out a few more carries there. I think he's a good enough player and a good enough offense that's going to have some nice game scripts that we could see him creep into that mid-range RB2, maybe high-end RB2 consistently, and maybe, maybe we get lucky and he can capture some of that magic that we saw from Alvin Kamara in his rookie season or CMC and work his way into the top 12, and maybe we do get in for the second time in a long time, two backs in the top 12. (laughs) But I think still, based on what we heard this week from Dan Campbell, they're going to find a way to get him a little bit more involved. It's really hard, though. Again, back to coach speak to nail down what exactly these guys mean when they're telling us these different things. So I think the best thing about Gibbs is he's played really well while Montgomery is gone. So that's a big positive. Yeah, hopefully that means that he does have at least a bigger role now that Montgomery is coming back than what we saw early in the season. Finally, let's go down to Baltimore and Friedman. It looked like a two-headed monster for a while with Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, but a third running back has entered the chat. Keaton Mitchell had a big game in week nine, so now how worried should we be that this is going to become a three-headed monster, and that's before we even get to Lamar Jackson taking his rushing opportunities? Yeah, we're not not worried 
when we're looking at this situation. I would say you still think that Gus Edwards week to week has a really decent chance of having 40 to 50% of the snaps. Justice Hill week to week, a pretty good chance of having 30 to 40% of the snaps with some leftover for Keaton Mitchell, who, you know, Dwayne can talk about this in a little bit with all of the nuances of the utilization, but who wasn't really in there at the beginning of the game. He was getting a lot of his production at the end of that game last week and what was a massive blowout. So I don't think Keaton Mitchell has locked himself in to steal, you know, a third of the the rushing workload that gets a portion to the running backs there. I still think he's the number three guy in that committee. But that said, at this point, he looks like the guy who has the highest upside of the committee. Like right now, I have Gus Edwards as a low-end RB2, Justice Hill as a low-end RB3, and Keaton Mitchell as, you know, your kind of desperation bi-week flex play. But if Mitchell actually does steal some of this work and does begin to carve out more of this backfield, he could be like another Devon A-chain. Like he's actually got that kind of, uh, like, not exactly to that level, but that game-breaking capability we saw at the Combine this year coming in as a rookie that he had speed in the four threes and we saw that manifest on the field this past week he actually is like a I wouldn't say like a game-breaking talent but he has juice that Gus Edwards and Justice Hill simply do not have and if the Ravens actually choose to leverage him to try to use him as a real playmaking weapon out of the backfield he has the highest upside and the potential to just push Gus Edwards and Justice Hill to the side, but it's just not likely that it is going to happen. But the threat of it happening each week always means that you can't be as certain about Gus Edwards and Justice Hill as you would want to be. But that's the way that I'm viewing it. Dwayne, how do you view this backfield? I think you did a really good job job breaking it down, you know, Friedman. The thing I'm looking at here is this is the most added player in fantasy football over the last 20 hours, 380,000 times, according to Yahoo. Keaton Mitchell has been added, but he's still available in 55% of leagues right now as we are recording. And when I look at him, I think the upside is the big part that you're talking about. And so you want to have him rostered. Is it going to be easy to start him every week? No. But I could easily still start him over like if it means I've got to drop Zeke Elliott, who I think might project for a better baseline points or, you know, just someone else in that kind of vein there. I would still rather have Keaton Mitchell, even if I've got to plug him into my lineup when I drop someone like that. This guy has electric speed. This is nothing new. 21% of his carries over his collegiate career went for 10 plus yards. That was tied for first in this last draft class of 2023. Now he's an undrafted guy out of East Carolina, didn't play against a lot of power five schools. So we always have to take into account that smaller level competition. But then when you see him come out and put it all on film on Sundays, and you already talked about that 40 time Friedman, it does seem to me that everything is adding up and they do hope that he could be their A-chan type of player. And when you look at what's missing right now from this Ravens attack, it is someone with this kind of electricity. Let's be honest, Justice Hill, he hasn't really been that good. So I do think that that role is up for grabs. I think there's a scenario where you have the Thunder as Gus Edwards, and then you have the Lightning as Keaton Mitchell, and maybe Justice Hill kind of scrapping it out to hang around on some passing downs. But I think there's an opportunity here for Keaton Mitchell to climb, climb as high as number two, on this depth chart, and you mentioned it, Friedman, if something happens and the stars align, this guy's suddenly the top back in this offense, you're going to really wish that you had him on your fantasy roster. Well, you got thunder and lightning potentially in Baltimore. Hopefully Justice Hill is not the storm cloud that obscures the sunshine of fantasy points uh, for our rosters. That's as far as my meteorology uh, you know, analogies can go in this one. Uh, we'll find out what we know about these backfields for the remainder of the season. In the meantime... We're going to start to check some of our priors as we do a little bit of a midseason check-in. Well, we have passed the midway point of the fantasy regular season. We're right about the midpoint of the NFL regular season, and it seemed like a good spot to do a midseason check-in. How we have felt about guys through the first couple months of the year and what we're going to think about them for the remainder of the season. And so to do that, I figure we do a little bit of a midseason mock. Mock. 
draft season alive and well everybody the way this is going to work we have four of us and we are trying to replicate what we would actually be trying to do right now if we were going to draft for the rest of the season in a round one draft so again i realize we have three rounds up here four of us just think of it more as a 101 through a 1012 112 you guys know what i'm saying and we don't have to rely on cpus auto picking between the entire time so with that marcus i'm going right back to you brother 101 who are you taking well, if I'm going to go with the 101 at this point in the season, I'm going to go with the guy who's been on fire all year long, who had a great start to his year, and looks like he's on pace legitimately for a 2,000 receiving yard season. Give me Tyreek Hill at the number one spot. Ooh, Ty Freak. Marcus is right. On pace for 2,033 yards for those counting at home. Look that up before the show. Don't need to double check me there. And with that, we actually have Freeman Loser up next. Uh, Freeman, 102. Who are you going to take, man? <laughs> interesting sleeper name by the way thank you uh i i like to set low expectations that way when i crush people they just don't see it coming uh and i'm gonna do that with christian mccaffrey who i can't believe is available at the 102 uh every time this guy steps on the field he scores touchdowns not literally every time but basically every time with the San Francisco 49ers. He feels like one of the safest bets each week for 100 yards from scrimmage. And even though he's a back, he, touches, he catches a ton of passes out of the backfield. So absolutely love the value of Christian McCaffrey at the 102. Woo. In this economy, no less, 25.1 PPR points per game this year for CMC, second highest scoring season of his career behind only the 2019 version. Pretty, pretty, pretty good over there. Next up, team free Duke Johnson, AKA your boy. And by the way, Duke Johnson, a little bit too free for my liking right now, but I'm gonna take a wide receiver who, no, not quite on the same pace as Tyreek Hill, but still doing some pretty incredible things, even if Sleeper wants to bury him down here a little bit. AJ Brown, come on. On down Eagles wide receiver one last week you know disappointing 65 yards in a touchdown performance after six straight games with 125 plus receiving yards no Dallas Goddard for at least the next four weeks if not longer not like we needed you know any extra targets for AJB but there should even be more of them so again a guy that you know I think if we did this draft a couple months ago arguably getting into you know the middle late stages of round two not in here. I got AJB pick three overall. And now we're going to Mr. McFarland over here. Dwayne, you got two picks. So, you know, don't get too crazy. Yeah, I get to make two picks, but I'm going to go with two wide receivers. I'm going to go ahead and take Jamar Chase. Look, I know it hasn't been good if you took Jamar Chase number one overall for the first part of the year. We had Joe Burrow in the calf injury, and it just wasn't the same offense for the Bengals. And then... We now have this injury with his back. It just doesn't look like it's going to be anything long-term. He's just sore. I thought Chris Collinsworth did the best <laughs> job with it, Ian, saying, look, he's going to crawl out of bed the next morning. Basically, all of our reports, what's so funny, is Chris saying that on Sunday Night Football have essentially matched that. <laughs> like it's, Everything from the docs has been, he's going to just wish he was dead on the first day. But by the time we get to next weekend, he's going to want to play. So with Joe Burrow back, we've got this drop back rate over expectation, back leading the NFL. This is one of the most pass-heavy teams. And Jamar Chase is still Jamar Chase. So I'll take him in a head-up race to try and compete with A.J. Brown. I think Tyreek Hill is off and running. Like, he is definitely the favorite. But I'll take him since Ian went ahead and took A.J.B. And then I'm going to take Stefan Diggs, just kind of staying along with this theme here of let's take the true wide receiver ones on their team. These are guys that can, can pile up 10, 12 targets per game. They're in pass-first offenses. And we have a really good quarterback in Josh Allen. And so Stefan Diggs has been playing great already this year. So, yeah, I'll go back to back with the wide receivers, Ian. Great stuff, Mr. McFarland. They don't call you second place Dwayne for nothing out here, man. So, again, Dwayne taking Jamar Chase and <laughs> Stefan Diggs over there at the turn. Found it interesting that Diggs, as great as his Buffalo, Buffalo tenure has been, currently on pace for career-high marks in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns alike. So, very much keeping on, keeping on, even if that Bills win-loss record a little bit lower than usual. Team Free Duke Johnson back on the clock. I'm going to take the reigning, defending back-to-back -back RB1 of the world, who just so happens to be a pretty good fantasy analyst too austin eckler come on down joining ajb maybe not christian mccaffrey but still these two with those targets they get week in and week out still playing an entirely different brand of football two things we have in this lovely game that are closest to cheat codes rushing quarterbacks and receiving running backs eckler continuing to be the nfl's touchdown king and now he's on your boy's squad freeman aka freeman loser back to you man who we, go, who we going with 
loser no more. Travis Kelsey. Ooh. I mean, the the tight end one forever and ever. Uh, if you look at what he has done this year, yeah, it's not so great, but maybe Taylor Swift comes to a few more of his games, and in those games, he absolutely balls out. And if you look at the playoff schedule that he has coming up, in Week 17, Championship Week, he's going against the Cincinnati Bengals in a game that is going to be highly anticipated, going against a defense that is number one in most fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Circle that on your calendar. That is the week that I win this championship. Yeah, man. Wow. Good pick there. Kelsey, CMC now. Hard to argue with that. But then again, it's kind of hard to argue with the top seven picks of any fantasy draft. So, Marcus, back to you. Two picks, man. What are we doing? I got two picks. I got three guys in mind. So, it's a shame that one of these guys is going to have to get left out. But I think I'm going to keep the whole wide receiver theme going. We're talking about getting guys who are the number ones on their respective offenses. And so, I'm going to take Amon Ross St. Brown. We are always fans and worshipers of the Sun God. The dude's been amazing all year long. Been amazing pretty much since the end of his rookie year when we all doubted if he could do it again. And not only has he done it again, he has succeeded. He has exceeded what we expected of him in an offense that uh, has continued to ascend there in Detroit. So I'm going to take him. And then, look, I get this guy a little bit later because he's been banged up, but he's still amazing. So I'm going to go and take Justin Jefferson starting off, I guess, what is our third round here? Uh, I know we're late in the first round in reality, but Justin Jefferson, <laughs> still Justin Jefferson, uh, a guy who, when he played, started and finished a game this year, was giving you more than 20 fantasy points. When he comes back, he's still going to be outstanding, even if it's not Kirk Cousins and it's Josh Dobbs. This is still the guy who was, in most leagues, the 1.01, and even though he's missed a few games, uh, that doesn't mean he's not good at football anymore. So Mr. Ride or Die, and to Marcus's point, you know, the consensus 101 here just a few short months ago. How quickly times are changing in fantasy football land. Freeman, back to you. CMC, Kelsey, who are we going with at number three? I mean, C.D. Lamb still on the board here. I will say I was a little tempted to take Travis Etienne just to uh, have no wide receivers in round one and walk out of it feeling like a massive alpha. But C.D. Lamb, uh, I mean, the number one wide receiver in a high-scoring offense uh, who's really been getting the ball a lot recently. And, you know, we just know historically what he's been able to do up to this point in his career. And uh, I think with the Cowboys in a situation where they now really need to get things going in order to catch the Eagles, all the more they're going to be getting the ball to CeeDee Lamb. So feel great about getting a real legit number one wide receiver uh, at the end, you know, kind of quote unquote end of the first round, uh, who still has a chance to finish if things go really well for the rest of the season as a top three wide receiver. CD going absolutely nuclear over these past couple of weeks. Wasn't that long ago after the 49ers game when people were actively panicking. You know, five games this year with seven or fewer targets. I understand the rationale, but good to see Dak Prescott and company fully realize just how good their number one and latest, you know, top tier number 88 can be when you feed him, you know, 10 plus targets each and every week. I'm up next. I'm going to take someone that I really, truly, guys, I cannot name another player I wish I would have drafted more of during this past offseason, but I did because sometimes I'm a little bit of an idiot, but we always watch the film and we always try to get better. And for that reason, I'm taking Travis Etienne. Pick 111 overall, someone that was going in the fourth freaking round not that long ago. Did we think that Travis Etienne was going to be on pace to rack up over 380 freaking touches this year? Nope, but that is now apparently the reality we live in. So Tank Bigsby is merely a figment of our imagination. I was worried about something named Jermichael Hasty taking Travis Etienne off the field, and that has not happened. So I know a lot of people were loving Etienne because of his efficiency as a rookie. And guess what? No one cares that he's only averaging 3.9 yards per carry because it doesn't matter when you're getting force fed the football in, a, in an ascending Jaguars offense. So, and that really is the wild part. I mean, I don't even think Trevor Lawrence and company have truly reached that sky high ceiling that we know they have. Best could still be here to come for Travis Etienne. So went ahead and got, you know, a little bit of the uh, superhero RB start from your boy with AJB, Eckler, and Etienne. Not too shabby in my humble opinion, but again, hard to truly mess up the first 11 picks or so we thought a few short months ago. Dwayne, why don't you close things out after going Chase and Diggs? 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you some guys I'm not taking. And based on ADP where it ended up, this is what it shows me I should do in Sleeper. B. John Robinson, no thanks, <laughs> Arthur Smith. Saquon Barkley, are the Giants going to win a game? Nick Chubb, out. Derek Henry, crusty. Patrick Mahomes, hmm, okay. Getting a little interesting. We got Cooper Cup. Don't know how long Matthew Stafford's out. That one has some intrigue. Devontae Adams doesn't have a starting quarterback. Josh Jacobs has all the utilization, no efficiency on an offense that can't score touchdowns. Tony Pollard, I'm just going to not <laughs> say anything because I want to cry. And I get to the name that I'm actually going to take, and I'm going to take Josh Allen. Why not stack Ooh. Josh Allen? He's the number one quarterback in fantasy right now. He's scoring 24.4 points per game. I could do Jalen Hurts, but I've already invested in Stefan Diggs. So I'll leave Jalen Hurts to come back around to you for your AJB stack. Give me Josh Allen. And with that, everyone, we have concluded our official Week 10 redraft for the rest of the season. Again, just to recap, like it was a one round of draft. I know we went four, but again, stick with <laughs> us here. Uh, Tyree Kill, Christian McCaffrey, A.J. Brown, Jamar Chase, looping back around. Stefan Diggs to Austin Eckler to Travis Kelsey to Amon Ross St. Brown. Back around, Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Travis Etienne, and Josh Allen to close things out. So honestly, guys, just again, kind of remembering where we were at just a few short months ago. Tyreek, McCaffrey, Chase, Sometimes A.J. Brown, Diggs, Eckler, usually Kelsey, Justin Jefferson. Those are the guys that we were, again, seeing, maybe not in this order, but still very much, you know, a part of first rounds and leagues of most shapes and sizes. Marcus, I guess the big changes, man, are one of your picks, that's Sun God, Mr. Ride or Die, and I think he has earned that inclusion, but Amon Ross St. Brown, also Travis Etienne, Josh Allen, and even CeeDee Lamb rising up the ranks and. You know, with all due respect to the Josh Allen pick, who may be a little bit early, but I get your stacking points. I think it makes sense, fellas. And again, just goes to show you how quickly the league can change. Absolutely how quickly things can change. A little bit surprised that uh, maybe Alvin Kamara didn't get some uh, consideration, considering how hot he has been since he's come back from his suspension. But uh, who knows? Maybe he's an early second-round pick, uh, the way things are going in this draft. But always fun to kind of regroup and reevaluate what we thought we knew and try and make it better for the back, back half of the season. Meanwhile, talking about the back half of the season, the Cardinals trying to get better because they've got their QB1 back. Meanwhile, the Giants don't really seem to, seem to have a QB at all. Matthew Barry and Golden Tate stop by to talk a little bit about that. Thanks, Marcus. All right, Golden, you know what? As we sit here right now, I'm, I'm thinking about the 2019 draft. Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones were the first two quarterbacks taken that year in the draft. Both are still with the teams that drafted them. Both signed very lucrative extensions with those teams. But as we enter week 10, they're on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Kyler Murray coming back from a very serious injury, whereas Daniel Jones, unfortunately, just suffered a very serious injury. So I want to talk about these two guys. Let's start with the positive case here in Kyler Murray. Now, it's exciting that he's returning to play against Atlanta, um, but he hasn't played football in almost a year. If there's a positive here, he plays the Atlanta Falcons, a Falcons defense that just lost to a quarterback that Kyler Murray's replacing, Josh Dobbs, who had just, you know, who took a couple of days, he's in Arizona, then he has three days in Minnesota, and then he leads a victory, a comeback victory against the Falcons. So um, Kyler probably has to feel pretty good about that. But again, he's rusty. He's like any human being. He hasn't done this live for a year. You played the game, Golden. Luckily, you stayed pretty injury-free over your career, but you've seen guys come back from injuries what are your expectations for Kyler Murray in his first game back in almost a year? You know, I, I don't have many expectations. I don't know what to think. New, uh, you know, he hasn't played in 11 months, like you mentioned. Um, this is a new system for him. Now, he's had a lot of time to take mental reps. And so mentally, I expect him to be sharp, and I hope he's very, very sharp, which he can rely on. Um, physically, there's a you have to get over the hump of like believing that in his case, my knee is okay. Can I take off and run? Am I going to be able to bump, be bumped slightly and still make a play? Um, arm strength, he has that. We know it. He's He can throw a deep ball. I'm sure he's been throwing the ball, but on the ground is where I worry. And as a fantasy owner, that's that's where he brings the most value. You know, is he going to be confidently be able to take off, run for a first down or run into the end zone? Who knows? Um, but he, him coming back is very timely with the departure of Dobbs and 
the guy they had out there first, Toon, not doing much. I think he's excited. We're all going to be watching. But the biggest beneficiary of this, I think, is going to be Hollywood Brown um, and get, being able to get that those balls down the field, thrown his way, and, and come up with one or two catches a, a game. Yeah, you know, Golden, I completely agree with you. I'm very excited. As somebody who has a lot of Marquise Brown on my teams this year, I'm very excited to see Kyler Murray back. Again, this offense sort of funnels targets to Hollywood. He's got a 28% target share on the year. That's top 15 among all wide receivers in the NFL. It's a similar target share as Adam Thielen or Amon Ross St. Brown. Again, sort of alpha wide receivers in fantasy. So I'm excited to see what Kyler Murray back does for Hollywood Brown, for Trey McBride. You think about this offense. Again, they've been top five in the NFL so far this season in tight end target share. They target the tight end. No Zach Ertz for this game, so it should be another good game for Trey McBride, and hopefully Michael Wilson comes back and he's healthy. I like him as kind of a deeper league stash. But for me, Hollywood Brown is a little bit more like a, you know, I think he's a QB2 with some upside in week one. If there's positives, again, I mentioned it. It's not a defense that scares you in Atlanta. They are 15th or worse in both against the run and against the pass. They're 25th in scoring defense over the last month. We just saw what Josh Dobbs did to him, and the game is in Arizona. So he'll be in friendly, familiar confines as well. Again, I think he's a QB2 with upside, but very excited to see Kyler Murray back, not just for the NFL, but for fantasy as well. Let's now turn to the other quarterback we mentioned at the top of the segment, and that's Daniel Jones. Okay, Golden, you played with Daniel Jones. You, you know Daniel Jones. How surprised are you at how much of a step back this entire Giants offense has taken, you know, given this year prior to the injury to Jones, and obviously it's awful. We wish Daniel a speedy recovery and a healthy one here, but I'm just curious, are you surprised with how much of a step back offensively they've taken even prior to Jones's injury? I really am. I really am. After uh, the bowl comes off getting coach of the year, I thought they were trending in the right direction. I knew it was going to be tough still with, you know, dealing with Dallas and Philly, but I didn't, I did not predict that they would be this bad. I mean, they just can't do anything right now. And uh, they're just plagued by injuries. But one thing that's been consistent over the last four or five years is that the offensive line has sucked and they have to figure out a way to, to fix that. I mean, they're, they're drafting some big names um, that are, you know, when they're on the field, they're okay, but geez, um, there's no quarterback that's going to do well. If you know on three-step drops, if you have defensive linemen in your face, especially in that division with one of the best defensive lines out there between Philly um, and the Commanders before they traded these guys away, and uh, obviously the Cowboys, so it obviously sucks uh, for DJ. And I hit him up uh, yesterday after I heard the official news of ACL torn. I said, "Hey man, I know you've had a, just a rough time, and I'm sure you got a lot of questions on why is this all happening to me, like just." and being on top of being in the New York media, but just stay with it, man. Uh, trust in God's plan and come back healthier and stronger. And hopefully some way you can play the, some good football and have some help around you. But look, I, you can't trust anybody um, for the giants and fantasy world. Only people you can trust is whoever the giants are playing against um, because they're likely going to have a big time game. But look, receivers you don't have anyone that you trust Darren Wallace out now who wasn't really lighting it up at all Saquon Barkley definitely makes him a better team but I don't know how efficient Saquon Barkley is going to be with the number three uh quarterback uh, you know you know leading the offense because at this point I'm like okay well I'm gonna make you beat me throwing the ball and trusting that you're going to throw me a few picks because you have a guy who I don't even know who he is and Saquon Barkley is just going to be he's gonna have to deal with eight and nine person box boxes nonstop because he's the only person that's going to give him a chance in my opinion. So man, it, it just hurts to be a Giants fan right now again for another year. And it just feels like they're cursed. It's definitely, a, uh, you know, uh, been a tough year after how much promise there was last year, as you mentioned, Brian Dayball winning coach of the year, them making the playoffs, them winning a playoff game. The future seems so bright in New York. So it's been a tough year for the Giants and all their fans, and certainly Daniel Jones. Like I said, we wish him a speedy recovery. I will say that while it certainly downgrades Saquon Barkley because you have to downgrade the entire offense, given the fact that they're on their third-string quarterback, uh, no Tyrod Taylor for the foreseeable future as well. He's also on IR. 
I do think volume gets him there. Saquon Barkley is super talented. He might touch the ball 30 times a game because he's all they got. Will it be super efficient? No. Will they be in scoring position often? Probably not. But I think because you have an experienced quarterback back there, I think you could see some dump-offs. I think he'll touch the ball a lot. So he was, prior to the year, kind of a top-five fantasy running back. Now he's more of a mid-tier RB2, but still somebody you're starting week in, week out. I think the hope here is that because it's a lost season for the New York Giants, that Dayball, who is a creative offensive mind, decides, you know what? Hey, let's at least get some guys some experience. So does Wandell Robinson, the second-year player who was injured much of last year, does Jalen Hyatt, their exciting rookie this year, did they start getting some looks this season? Because, again, you just want to get these guys some reps so that when Daniel Jones comes back next year, that the Giants have some experience on the offense outside of Saquon Barkley. So those are guys that I would keep on my radar, just in the back of my head, Wandell Robinson, Jalen Hyatt, but I wouldn't do anything with them until we see some success on the field, unless, of course, you're in a deeper league. But yeah, just a tough scene in New York, and right now, the only offensive player on that team that you feel like you can trust, and that's being generous, would be Saquon Barkley. Here's hoping we have a happier subject next week to talk about, Golden, but until then, my friend, I will talk to you next week, and we'll send it right back to Marcus Grant. Time to get into some predictions and bets. And Matthew Friedman, of course, uh, no better guy to help us out with it than that. Uh, of course, you can check out the Betting Life newsletter. Go to FantasyLife.com to sign up for that. It arrives in your inbox on Sunday, Monday, and Thursday. Uh, we got plenty going on, Friedman. A whole slate of shows for folks to take in over at Fantasy Life. Yeah, I mean, we certainly do. The early line show with Matt LaMarca is great. He's been crushing the early predictions there. The bigger picture episode is a really fun one uh, where you just kind of look at some of the trends happening across the league. You know, some you don't have to talk about picks. It's more just kind of looking at the process of everything. Uh, the unabated show that we do with Peter Jennings on Wednesday is always fantastic. And then the prop show, one of my personal favorites that we do with Jeff Ulrich, uh, on Friday, absolutely great stuff there. Jeff, Jeff has been crushing it with the props. And of course, the live streams that we do in front of all the primetime games, those are must watch with LaMarca and Jeff holding down the fort there. So a great slate of shows. And then of course, all the content we have on the site and the betting life newsletter coming at you every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Gotta check that out. Absolutely. Go check that out. In the meantime, uh, we've got Friedman's best bets for the week. So let's dive into them. the first one. Steelers and the Packers, a matchup of a couple of NFL legacy teams that, let's be honest, aren't a whole lot of fun to watch play offense this year. But uh, you are taking a side in this one. What is it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a nasty game. And it, I think because of that, it offers a little bit of value here. The Steelers minus three hosting the Packers. Uh, I think this should be, you know, probably a little bit more like four. And I bet that it actually will get up to three and a half. It's kind of floated around there. So I think there's value in grabbing it here at the minus three. The Steelers have traditionally a strong home field advantage. Head coach Mike Tomlin is 76, 63 and four against the spread at Acrisure Stadium, of course, under various names for his career. You look at quarterback Jordan Love. He has struggled in his first season as a starter. He's going to be challenged by a Steelers defense that's number nine in EPA and led by Edge TJ. Watt, who's one of the leading defensive player of the year candidates, and Love might be without number one wide receiver Christian Watson, who last week exited with injuries all over his body. On one play, he injured his back, his chest, and his head all on the same play. I mean, this, this guy is Mr. Glass. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the Packers could be without key players at all three levels. Nose tackle Kenny Clark, linebacker Quay Walker, and free safety Rudy Ford. I have this projected at 4.6, so, uh, you know, love it here at minus three all right so we got the Steelers there meanwhile Cincinnati Bengals winners of four of their last five games the offense looks like it is back on track again they go to take on the Houston Texans fresh off of CJ Stroud's amazing performance with five touchdown passes uh, but you like the the kid the cats from the jungle in this one huh? Yeah, looking at the Bengals, minus six and a half here. And, you know, I think uh, this might be a game that Ian talks about a little bit later. That's what we call a tease. All sorts of humor in that one right there. But the Bengals all the way back 
on offense. And I think close enough to where they were last year on defense against the Bills this last week, they absolutely looked like the Bengals that we have seen run all over the NFL in the past couple of years. And this offseason, this number was nine and a half minus 10 in the look ahead market. And I know that Texans quarterback CJ Stroud has been impressive as a rookie, no doubt about that. And of course, Jamar Chase with the back issues, it's not 100% that he's going to play this week, but a move through the key number of seven when in the offseason this number was 10 is just too much of a move and I have this projected around eight and a half so love getting it here at minus six and a half even if you have to take it at minus seven I still think there's value there so we got the Bengals beating the Texans here. One last one, a very intriguing one, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are trying to assert their dominance over the AFC South. Uh, they are hosting the 49ers, losers of three in a row before the bye. Niners actually a favorite in this one, but uh, you like the Jags, huh? Yeah, I like the home team here. Jags getting three points. I think both of these teams are going to be healthy coming out of the bye. It's one of the, the rare situations where you have two teams off of the bye playing each other. So the advantage that either one would normally have, you just kind of don't have here. But you do have two teams getting healthy. And because of that, no big injury situations to take into account. And I have the 49ers power rated as one and a half points better than the Jags on a neutral field. But this isn't a neutral field. It's the Jags at home and the 49ers need to travel across country going east for a game that kicks off at 1 p.m. Eastern. So based on that, I think this game should be more of a pick em, uh, than the plus three that we see in the market. And the Jags have a very underappreciated defense that ranks number three in EPA this season. So I think that defense does just enough to slow down the offense for the 49ers to give us some value here. I have this projected at around one and a half. So getting it at the plus three feels like a really solid number here. You mentioned the Jaguars defense. Brock Purdy uh, struggling a little bit in his last few starts. We'll see if he can turn it around this week against Jacksonville. In the meantime, you heard Friedman talk about Ian teasing, just teasing. So instead of teasing, let's just get to just teasing. Thanks, Marcus. Good to be back with another edition of Just Teasing. I know there's been a lot of confusion, you know, over these past couple weeks about what exactly are Freeman and I fighting over. Honestly, it might be a wad of cash at this point because we have taken down three of the last four weeks, baby, including two in a row. So, Freeman, need another teaser for this week. Don't mess it up. Who do you got? Yeah, great graphic for a great streak we have going. I'm going to hopefully keep this alive with Broncos. Uh, sorry, not the Broncos, the Bills, uh, minus seven and a half hosting the Broncos. And we're going to tease this down to one and a half. This is a must win game for the Bills uh, who need to keep pace with the Dolphins in the AFC East. And I know the Broncos, their defense has been improving. They're coming off of a bye. I kind of don't care. I, I just need the Bills basically to win this game by more than one point. They are at home. They are fully equipped to do this. And Josh Allen is still playing like an MVP. Number one in ESPN's QBR. Number two in composite completion percentage over expectation and EPA. Uh, I really do like the Bills here to win by more than a point. So we're teasing them from seven and a half to one and a half. Just win, baby. Again, we do need to cover that one and a half point spread. But Freeman, think he could be on to something there. Again, got away all the way till Monday night. So giving us something a little extra to sweat for there. But again, kicking things off with those bills, seven and a half down to one and a half. I'm going to pick the team that actually took down said Bills last week. That's right. I'm going with the Cincinnati Bengals at home against the Houston Texans. Only six and a half point home favorites. So maybe we're thinking it was an emotional win by Joe Burrow and company. But honestly, I think that's as true, if not more true, on the other side of the football where, yes, guys, I saw it. CJ Stroud, 470 and five big ones. That was cool. You know what wasn't that cool? Losing the Baker Mayfield and company until the last minute of the game and giving up 37 points to that ho-hum Buccaneers offense. So right now, hilarious note as we're recording this on a Wednesday, 23 different players from the Texans active 52-man roster are on the injury report in some way, shape, or form. So 20 freaking three out there. Give me Joe Burrow and a Bengals squad that has honestly become to look like one of the best teams in the AFC and NFL period ever since Joe Burrow really got over his calf injury. So again, guys, when we are teasing, we are building this little two 
you know, two-team parlay there. We're getting six points off. So the Bills are going to be down to one and a half. Bengals are going to be down to just a half point. And again, we're going to get those six points taken off with a teaser. So, you know, maybe just put a couple million on that. And we'll have a nice, uh, pretty return at the end of the day. So here we go. Let's make it three in a row. Marcus, man, you got to like those picks. Come on. Absolutely love those picks, and hopefully you guys are able to earn enough to buy a tank of gas, considering the way <laughs> things are going nowadays. But uh, stay hot uh, with the just teasing there. In the meantime, look, you guys got more work to do because those were the teasers there, but you have some, uh, some underdog pickums that you guys liked for the week, right? You are correct, Marcus. We're right back here to the Board Pro 75. And just look how beautiful this thing is, guys. If you're not jealous of me, I mean, you freaking should be with this lovely piece of technology. But gonna get Dwayne McFarland, aka The Rock, here in here as well. Dwayne, talking a little bit of DJ Moore. His receiving yards total is at 52 and a half. And as I say, Dwayne, I believe I actually mean Friedman who picked this one. So rivalry game here, 52 and a half. Friedman, are we going receiving yards or the receiving and rushing yards making a little more spicy? just receptions i'm a conventional type of guy and uh, we're going higher than you know this number is uh, far too low in a hashtag revenge game and going against a panther secondary that is without jc horn without tj henderson without jeremy chin without xavier woods and maybe without von bell he'll probably play but they could be down like four of the key guys in the secondary and also missing Shaq thompson to patrol the middle of the field in in coverage and then also missing two edge rushers this is a very wounded panthers defense and i think dj moore goes ballistic against them in the hashtag revenge game one more week of the teabag experience while justin fields continues to recover from that right thumb injury not ideal that said we have seen you know badger be serv serviceable enough over these past few weeks to believe again that 52 and a half receiving yard line might just be a little bit low so the rock now we are going over to you talking some deontay johnson snap that what 600 and freaking 55 day streak without a touchdown the vibes are good the touchdown you know the end zone gods are no longer pissed off at deontay johnson but Dwayne, you want to look at something that's been far more reliable for deontay over the years and that's just pure receiving yards yeah, for Deontay Johnson, like it's one of these things where, you know, everything clicks for him. Like I'm pretty much just looking at three things whenever I'm picking for higher or lower here with underdog. And I just want to know, okay, does he project for higher than what we have here? Yes, he does. What about his season average? 75 and a half yards in, in, his, in his games this year. And then 75% of the time he's gone over this number. Well, the one game he didn't, he was hurt. So it is a small sample size, so you have to be a little bit careful because we only have the four games, and technically it's three where we've had healthy Deontay Johnson. But when you're earning the type of targets that he is, I'm not really going to worry about it hard. So yes, give me Deontay Johnson higher than 59 and a half receiving yards. You heard it from the man going higher with Deontay back to back. Maybe just maybe a few more of these because Freeman, I mean, when I just see, and by Freeman, I mean Dwayne, actually, when I see a player facing the Washington Commanders defense, it's just like, come on, we're not about to take a lower here, are we? And in this case, we are not looking, not just looking at a Washington defense that, let's face it, has been bad this entire season, but also, guess what? Continues to be without game-changing defensive ends, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So, Dwayne, again, setting up uh, pretty nicely for uh, DK Metcalf, who, let's face it, has hasn't exactly been, you know, helping his fantasy managers out all that much this year. Yeah, I'm going to take higher than 58 and a half yards against the commanders for all the same reasons that I just talked about with Deontay Johnson. We have DK Metcalf checking all of these different boxes. Now, he's a little lower than what I like for the hit rate. Only 57% of the time has he gone higher than 58 and a half yards this year. But a couple of things to note here. It's a man heavy coverage unit for the commanders. They run the third most in the NFL. And we have a long standing streak for the Seattle Seahawks going back three years now. When they play against these man heavy teams, they feed DK Metcalf. And this year that has continued. He has a 35% target share versus man coverage. And oh my God, what have other alpha wide receivers done to this commander secondary? DJ Moore went off for 230 yards. Ooh. 125 yards to Drake London and AJ Brown, not once, but twice, 130 yards and 175 yards. This will be the biggest game of the season for DK Metcalf, not just up until now. It will be his biggest game of the season, period. 
You guys heard Dwayne, 200 plus yards confirmed. Heck of a prediction there, Dwayne. Really rooting for you <laughs> with that one. Let's close things out with our fourth higher or lower. Freeman, back to you here. Talking some Tony Pollard, for those not aware, NFL high, 136 consecutive touches without a touchdown. But we're not talking about touchdowns, Freeman. We are talking about rushing yards. And you are intrigued at the higher number here at just 60 and a half for the 16 and a half point home favorite Cowboys RB1. Yeah, I'm going higher here, no question. If we look at what Tony Pollard did in week one on the road in a 40-0 blowout, he had 70 yards against these Giants. That feels like the baseline for what he could do this week, given the circumstances. Big home favorite. Absolutely love him in this spot. I have this projected at 68 and a half. And the problems that people have had with Pollard this year, he's not finding the end zone, as you mentioned, and he hasn't been all that efficient this week. I don't think either of those things are going to be a problem. He's going to get a ton of yards. And I think the touchdowns will follow with all that. I like higher than 60 and a half for Tony Pollard. I remember a few short weeks ago, Friedman was terrified to take a higher on here. Now we got multiple weeks in a row where we are just pounding that higher number. Love to see it. Happy to see you catching up with the fun times, Friedman. Lord knows life is too short to be putting anything there on the lowers over at Underdog Fantasy. So again, we like DJ Moore higher than 52.5 receiving yards. Deontay Johnson higher than 59.5 receiving yards. DK Metcalf over 58.5 receiving yards. That line is criminal. I mean, Dwayne even said before we started recording this, like he is already averaging more than that period, let alone when facing the Washington Commanders. Come on, underdog setters. And also Tony Pollard higher than 60 and a half rushing yards. So we get a nice little, you know, four correct. We'll pay up to $1,000 with a $100 bet. And if you want to go ahead and get involved for yourself, guys, whether it's with this or another set of hires or lowers, you can go ahead and use code LIFE over there at underdogfantasy.com to get $100 match off your deposit up to $100. So pretty good deal if you ask me. And Marcus, I know we got some other deals to talk about here. And by that, I mean time for me to dominate these primetime picks again. Yeah, exactly what it is. Uh, by the way, you can go to fantasylife.com and get all of our underdog picks for the low, low price of free. So go check that out too uh, if you want some suggestions on maybe some things to do for the weekend. But let's get into the primetime staff picks. I mean, let's be honest. It is not the most scintillating primetime slate of games. We got the Panthers at the Bears on Thursday. We got the Jets at the Raiders on Sunday night. And on Monday, it is the Broncos at the Bills. So, Dwayne, what do you like from the primetime games? Yeah, this is yeah. These are really fun here. This is just uh, another tantalizing <laughs> week, um, but you know it is it is what it is. So I am gonna go ahead and take the Bears, basically because they're home. I don't like either one of these teams. Uh, we've got quarterback issues on both sides of the ball. Um, you know the Bears have been playing better defense lately. They are susceptible to the pass. Well, guess what? The Panthers don't do well. They don't pass the ball well. Yeah, we can get our yards for Adam Thielen, but it's really been a situation where they've not been able to do much more than that. So give me the Bears at home. Then we have the Jets going to the Raiders. I know it was an inspired game last weekend from the Raiders, finally out from under the thumb of Josh McDaniels, who apparently everyone hated, didn't just dislike playing for this man. They hated playing for this man. So they're going to try to keep the good vibes going, but I just feel like the Jets' defense is going to be too much for them with Aiden O'Connell under center. So I expect the Jets to take down the Raiders. And then finally, we have the Broncos at the Bills. And, you know, I'm just rooting for this teaser, first of all, to make it through because I want Ian and I want Freeman to continue their winning ways. I hope you guys do put down some big money so you can, you know, send us all some Christmas gifts. But I am going to take the Bills, despite the Broncos playing better. And like Freeman said, coming off the bye, like they, they've got to win this game. The Bills have got to win this game. And look, I just go with the best quarterback. Whenever I don't know for sure what to do, and I already did know for sure what to do, but the easy thing is just take the better quarterback, and Josh Allen's clearly that. Uh, I think that's definitely uh, not up for debate there. All right, Ian, what do you got? <laughs> I am just directly fading Friedman's picks because I want to be on the right side of history when he inevitably <laughs> changes some of these. So in all seriousness, yeah, I mean, look, this is, these are not the most fun games to pick from. I understand that. But that's just week 10 primetime for you. So going to go ahead and take, you know, not the backup quarterback in game one. Give me Bryce Young and the Panthers. Not looking quite as bad as they did last week. All due apologies to my favorite producer, Matt Swing, out there. One of these days. 
days, I'll pick your Bears, man. Also, moving on. Yeah, I am going to take the inspired Raiders. Dwayne, no more Josh McDaniels, man. That means Aiden O'Connell is, you know, a future pro bowler. Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs doing their things. And most importantly, Zach Wilson does not play for the Raiders. So, yeah, I know. About a month ago, Zach Wilson didn't suck against the Chiefs. Since then, though, really, really, really been tough to enjoy. And honestly, the biggest Jets news recently is just seeing Aaron Rodgers throw passes and warm up. So go ahead and give me the, again, Raiders over the Jets. And then finally, I'm taking the Broncos over the Bills because you know what? The NFL just doesn't make sense sometimes. And when we do look at this Broncos team coming off the bye, coming off a win over the Chiefs and facing a Bills team that seems to be reeling a little bit, seeing a scenario here where maybe just maybe we get digs, not overly happy with one Josh Allen, slow start. I mean, come on, how are the Broncos going to beat the Bills? I don't know, but this kind of crazy stuff happens in the NFL sometimes. So I'm going to roll with it. Ian, at least just be honest like Friedman does and just say you're doing this for leverage and st stop trying to justify why you're taking the Broncos, man. Come on. I'm doing this for leverage, okay? Is that what you wanted to hear, Dwayne? <laughs> and, and the truth comes out. <laughs> we finally, we've gotten to the bottom of it. Um, Look, I'm taking the Bears over the Panthers because I don't know why. It's, it's close. I can flip a coin. I can ask a magic eight ball. Uh, I can go one way or another, but we'll take the Bears because they are at home. Uh, and not sure if Bryce Young is ready for the bright lights of Thursday night football. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to take the Jets going to Las Vegas. I think the honeymoon uh, is over. It was fun watching Max Crosby and the team smoke cigars in the locker room after a win. Uh, neither the Jets nor the Giants have a quarterback. The difference is the Jets can actually play defense, and I think they're going to make it tough on Aiden O'Connell, so I think they get the win on the road. And taking the Bills because, well, they're just flat out better than the Broncos. And uh, as you guys have mentioned, they need to get a win to try to keep pace with the Dolphins in the AFC East and uh, try at least give them some kind of outside shot at uh, at home field advantage that might be kind of gone but uh, at least give them the illusion uh, of having home field advantage throughout the playoffs so uh, there you go all right Friedman uh what sort of leverage can you gain now that that Ian has sort of uh, you know taken your angle away from you Zero leverage, leverage, just uh, make the right picks, which uh, hopefully is what I'm doing here. I'm going with the Bears, and I was wrong. Uh, it, it looks like Justin Fields is doubtful. So uh, even with him doubtful, not likely to play, I will still go with T-Bag going against a Panthers defense that is totally devoid of its, uh, its starting players. So going with the Bears, going with the Jets on Sunday Night Football because uh, they got to get some wins to give Aaron Rodgers more motivation to get back on the field in December. Uh, and then going with the the Bills, as I mentioned, uh, absolutely love this spot for them. And uh, when we cash this uh, this teaser, bah humbug, Dwayne, you're not getting any Christmas gifts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't expect wow. any, to be honest, Friedman, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was harsh. Uh, anyway, we got at least two teabag references in on this show. So, uh, you know, at least that's that, we have that going for us. Uh, going into week 10 but uh, that'll be a good spot for us to wrap things up here on this edition of the fantasy live show we appreciate you hanging out with us as always thanks as always again to matthew berry and golden tate for stopping by as well for ian hardis for Dwayne mcfarland for matthew friedman i'm marcus grant thanks for watching enjoy the week everybody and we'll talk to you again real soon